Well, welcome everyone. It's good to see you. Well, uh, now, today is, as many of you I'm sure know, Super Bowl Sunday. And when I found out that uh, the uh, Super Bowl doesn't start at 2 o'clock but at 6.30, I thought, fantastic, that means I can make my message a little longer. I was planning on 5 o'clock, but when I mentioned that to Mike, Mike said, how about 5.30? So I thought that would be great, and, and so we're going to be doing that. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Actually, we're doing something a little bit different. Um... I am going to be giving a shorter message than usual, uh, you're welcome, with a chance to respond at the end. This is a, something different we're going to be doing. Maybe during the, uh, the time you, that I'm speaking, you'll have a question from the passage that comes to mind. Maybe God will tell you some way that you can take what we're learning and live it out in your life. Uh, and, and encourage us by doing that. Uh, either way, if you have something that God might be leading you to share, uh, then just write it down, and we would love to hear from you after the message. For now, let's open our Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 10. Romans uh, chapter 10, because 930 is just the last four verses of that. And let's open in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace, for your love, and your patience towards us. God, we thank you for your word that that tells us who you are and why that matters for our lives. It's not just something to to come and learn some interesting facts about, not just something to, to watch and to cheer and then go on with our everyday lives. What you have done for us and what you are still doing in us matters today, matters right now. And the moment that we walk out of these doors, God, it matters. Help us to understand that. Help us to trust it. And help us to live it out in our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, believe it or not, once upon a time I was a kid. Alright? And while I was young, of course, like all of you, I was almost perfect. But even Adam Hamill, even I, still had lessons to learn. And I thought, surely, my, I couldn't think of anything being so perfect myself as a kid. But I, I thought maybe my parents could think of at least one thing that they needed to punish me for when I was younger. So I called my mom, and I said, Mom, I know, I know how great of a kid I was growing up, and how you had no issues with me, I know. But can you think of anything that I needed to be punished for, not like once, but something that was an issue over a long period of time? And my mom said, oh, I know. I was like, ah, well, okay. And I I tried to record it so you could listen to her, but I couldn't figure the, the technical side of that out. So instead, she just emailed me this story, which I thought you might appreciate me reading to you. Now, here's what she says. 
Pastor Adam, like all of us, had the occasional struggle with obedience as a child. I don't know what she's talking about. I, like I said, I was, whatever. Let's keep going. The most memorable involved bedtime. During the period of time when he was still in a crib but had just learned to climb out on his own. Warnings were given about the dangers of Adam hurting himself should he try to climb out and get tangled up in the side of the crib or fall down to the floor. Adam, however, remained steadfastly unfazed. A nightly battle of wills became the order of the day. I don't know, maybe that's putting it a little bit harshly, but whatever. Let's keep going. All right, each night, either dad or mom would put Adam into his crib, reminding him that it was time to go to sleep and that he needed to stay in bed. Then, fairly sure what was coming, we would settle down to wait with a good book in the upstairs hall outside his closed bedroom door. Night after night, we would soon hear the side of the crib rattle, followed by the sound of his little feet hitting the floor. We would put down the book and go in, pick Adam up, repeat the instruction to stay in bed and why it was important to do so, give him a little spank on his backside and put him back into bed. This would be repeated multiple times each night, though probably far fewer than the number we actually remember it being at this point. And eventually each night, Adam would give up, stay in bed and go to sleep. And eventually, our evening reading sessions in the hall stopped altogether as Adam learned to obey and the climbing stopped. Mission accomplished by God's grace, number of gray hairs acquired undetermined. You know, I don't remember exactly what I was thinking at that time when I was quite that young. But I know that during the times when I was being disciplined by my parents, I thought it was most of the time completely... Anyone know what the word is? What words come into my mind? Unwarranted? Anyone else got another good word? Oh, come on, guys. What? Mean. mean. Anyone else? One more. Right. What? Justified. I didn't think it was justified at the time, but you know what? It probably was. Unwarranted and mean was probably a little bit closer. But what my parents were actually doing is they were working to train me in righteousness, helping me to learn to be a child that stayed in bed when he was supposed to be. And every time I got up, I was disciplined for my own good, on, only until training was no longer needed. Now, the word spanking on the backside was, was mentioned, and for some of us in the, the younger generation, spanking is kind of taboo. You know, we're going to leave that aside and just talk about the idea of discipline, all right? God can sometimes be like that, too. There are bad things that happen to us in life, okay? And they can fall into one of four different categories. Category one, some bad things happen to us just because we live in a broken world, all right? Because we are in a world broken by sin and death. And that's just what happens, you know? Sometimes bad things just happen because we're in a broken world. Secondly, there are some things that happen that are just a simple consequence of what we do. If I recklessly crash my car into a tree, I'm going to be down several thousand dollars of repair and uh, or, or replacing. You know, that's just something that happens as a natural consequence. And there are some things that some bad things that happen because of persecution because of the enemy, the world, the flesh, the devil are working against us and making life harder for us to try to push us away from God. 
And a lot of the things that happen to us fall in one of those first three categories. Okay? You can't necessarily look at anything and say, this, this must be belong to the fourth category, or especially look at someone else's life and say, ah, I think that this happened to you because of this. But the fourth category is, some bad things happen because it's God's wrath against people who reject what God reveals about himself. This can happen to believers, and it can happen to unbelievers. So we've been talking our way through this in Romans 1, all the way through chapter 8, and we're continuing to see this in chapter 9. And we need to know this because Romans 1 tells us a theme of Romans is about how the gospel is God's power to save us. Save us from, from what? From the wrath of God. God does not want to, to do things to us just for the sake of, uh, if, if ever God's wrath does come into our lives, He doesn't just want to do us just to be like, aha, you get me, I got you. He's trying to bring us back to Him. And just like my parents, He wants to draw us back to a right relationship to what is best for us. Let's take a look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 9, verses 30 through 34. Or 9, 30 through 10, 17. Which says, what should we say then? That the Gentiles who didn't pursue righteousness have obtained righteousness, namely the righteousness that comes from faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, hasn't attained the righteousness of the law. Why? Because they didn't pursue it by faith, but as it were, by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it's written, look, I'm putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over, and the one who believes on him won't be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their punishment? For their pain? No, it's for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. Since they're ignorant of God's righteousness and attempted to establish their own righteousness, they haven't submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Since Moses writes about the righteousness from the law, the one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks this. Don't say in your heart, who will go up to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with a heart resulting in righteousness. One confesses with a mouth resulting in salvation. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him won't be put to shame. Since there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him they haven't believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? How can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This is God's word. Ah, continuing the last couple of verses. I ended a little early. Sorry, guys. 
But not all have obeyed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who's believed our report? Consequently, faith comes from what's heard, and what's heard comes through the preached word of Christ. There we go. Paul is describing for us a topsy-turvy world because he is described in Romans 1 through 8 how we receive not just righteousness, but then also available to believers is what is called salvation. Salvation from the wrath, the discipline of God. Which is meant really to, to bring us back to Him, but God saves us from His wrath when it comes, not through our strength, but through His grace. And then the Israelites come in and say, all right, well, you're saying that God is faithful to His promises. He is faithful to what He says. What about Israel? Israel's supposed to be the one God's using, and He's using Gentiles instead. He's saying, we live in a topsy-turvy world, Paul, because you are saying that the Gentiles are being blessed over the Israelites. He says, that's not fair. And in a way, you know what? It absolutely does seem unfair. Take a look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. When he says, the people of Israel, theirs is the adoption of sonship. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all. Forever praised. Amen. Israel had every advantage. Every reason why if anyone had a right relationship with God, it should be the people whose lives looked better. The people who said, I know what God wants me to do, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to live my life according to the rules as well as I can, and if I do good enough, then God will love me more than the people who whose lives are not as good as mine. But Paul comes in and says, guess what? God's turned the tables. Israel was the one that wanted righteousness. Israel was the one that was pursuing righteousness. But Israel was the one that ended up missing out on righteousness. And it was the Gentiles, the ones who weren't even looking for it, that recognized it when they were offered it. And they were the ones that received it. Why is that? Three reasons, each of which plays into each other. The Israelites, when they were chasing righteousness, they were chasing the wrong goals, the wrong kind of righteousness. They were pursuing it the wrong way, wrong actions, and they had a wrong knowledge. They were reading God's own word in the wrong way. And every one of these was tainting each other in a downward spiral. We're going to take a look at that in these verses. If you don't have your Bible open to Romans chapter 10, uh, I'm not going to be pulling the verses back up, so please go ahead, look at this to see if what I say is true. Be good Bereans, because God calls us to search the Scriptures and not just take whatever I say at face value. So, First of all, they were wrong goals. What were the Israelites chasing? Because they wanted to be righteous before God, right? What's wrong with that? That seems like a good goal. Paul says the problem of what they were chasing is that when they said they wanted righteousness, they were chasing their own righteousness. 
They were looking to stand on their own two feet, say, God, tell me what you want me to do, and I will make myself good enough by my effort, by my strength, by my discipline. I will make myself good enough that any God would, rect- would accept me. And Paul says, ah, that's, that's the wrong kind of righteousness. Because when they were chasing that, and then God came along <coughs> and said, hey, why don't you accept my righteousness offered to you freely? They said, nah, I'm good. Don't need it. Why? Because I have my own two feet to stand on. I go to church well enough. I pray. I read my Bible. I give. I do this and I don't do that. And look at me compared to other people. Aren't I so good? Why would I need God to give me his righteousness when I can stand on my own? They had the wrong goals. The wrong, they were pursuing the wrong kind of righteousness. Can that happen to us? Oh yeah. Oh yes, it can. Very easily. In fact, sometimes I, I stray that way in the blink of an eye. But not only that, they had the wrong knowledge. It says that they rejected the knowledge of God and they were ignorant of what they should have known. If they knew what the Old Testament had told them, the Old Testament was full of stories telling Israel that they were failures and they needed a Savior to come. They received the law, and the law, yes, it blessed those people whose lives were obedient, but what did it do to people, to the lawbreakers? It brought them punishment and death, didn't it? The law wasn't made to bring life to the dead. It was made to bring death to the living. And the only hope that they could have was in the sacrificial system, which said when you deserve punishment, you can bring an animal, put your hand on its head, confess your sins, and then that animal is killed, then your sins are covered by its blood. The sacrifice was not actually meant to be the solution. It was meant to point them toward their need for a solution. And that solution is found in the gospel, in the good news about Jesus. Because the gospel speaks stronger than the law. It says, don't worry about going up to bring Christ down or going down to bring Christ up from the dead. It says, Jesus Christ came down already. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, defeating death already. Jesus Christ did all the work for you. And he says, what do you have to do now? What do we have to do? Do we, have to, do we have any list of things we have to do to know we're going to heaven? Only one thing. Belief. Faith. Trusting in Jesus. If you do that, you're in. The law brought death to the living. The gospel is made to bring life to the dead. But when you have a wrong knowledge... It will taint how you chase, what it is you're chasing, and how you chase it. And then there's the wrong actions that they were doing. Romans 10, 9 through 13 tells us what Israel should have been doing and what they were missing out on. Israel had rejected God's righteousness. They had rejected God's word. They had killed the Messiah. 
And now they were under judgment. And what Paul presents for us in Romans 10, 9, and 10 is not a one-step process for how to receive everlasting life. It is a two-step process for how to be saved from the wrath of God. Let me explain. If you have your Bibles open, take a look in Romans 10, verse 14. Can someone read that out loud, nice and loud for me? 10, 14. Pause. Perfect. How can they call on him in whom they have not believed? What does that tell us immediately? That takes the two ideas and separates them. You have to believe before you call. The two ideas are separated by Paul into two distinct things that you do. One and then the other. Right? And then we get to 10, 9, and 10. Someone willing to read that for me? Nice and loud. Perfect. Thank you. What does Paul tell us? Most of us will take this and use this in our evangelism to tell people who don't trust in Jesus how to, how to be saved. And, and I guess if, if you're kind of taking it and, and willing to take it kind of out of context, then it kind of sounds like it works. But really, what is Paul talking about here? Paul is saying that this is a two-step process. Belief leads to righteousness Confession and calling on God leads to salvation. Not belief and confession leads to righteousness and salvation. We equate the two in our minds, but salvation, actually, there's a lot of times in the Bible that salvation is not talking about going to heaven as opposed to hell. It's talking about God saving us here on this earth, here in this life. And in Romans, salvation is clearly salvation from God's wrath, from his judgment that comes on us because we reject him. He says, when you believe, like he's talking talking in 1 through 3, you cannot receive righteousness through your effort. 3 through 6 of Romans, you have to trust in Jesus, and then you receive a new identity. Then you receive righteousness, a right standing with God. And then we read in Romans 7 that sin is still able to overpower believers who are working in their own strength. It's possible for you to have trusted in Jesus Christ, to have a new identity in Him, but to be trying to make Him happy because you are making yourself good enough. You're drumming up the strength. And then you find that it is just futile. It is terrible and horrible, and you're just overpowered by sin. And you say, what is this? It's pointless. He says, but Romans 8 tells us that when someone who, A, is in Christ and B, is walking not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. They are free from the condemnation, free from the wrath and the judgment of God. And that's what he's talking about here. We need belief in order to have a new standing before God, and then we need to call on God here and now if we want God to save us from His wrath. This is not saying, by the way, that we should not obey. We absolutely should. God calls us to live a life that honors Him. But be very clear. Let me be clear. When you obey, it should be based on your trust in God's salvation and not the basis for. 
Oh man, there's so much more, but I said I would leave time for you guys to respond. Let me just run through this. Romans 10, 14 through 15 tells us about a process that God has. How can they call on him whom they have not believed? How can they believe on him whom they have not heard? How can people hear unless someone preaches? How can a preacher preach unless they're sent? What I want you to take from this is that righteousness is apart from works. You are right with God, not because of being good enough that God says, I look at what you do and I declare you righteous. He says, if you trust in Jesus, I look at you and I see Jesus, not what you've done. Your righteous right standing with God is because you trust in him, not because you work in him. But that does not mean that God wants us to wallow in brokenness. He doesn't want us to do any more than I want my kids to live to to be hurt by the choices they make. I want them to do what's best for them, right? Right? Parents, don't you want that? Your child will always be your child. They will always be loved. But you want them to have the best. Those are two distinct ideas. God is a potter working us into vessels for his glory. But it's not an automatic process. It's not going to just happen. Your, life, your own life can attest to that. Each of those. I know mine does. It's not automatic. And guess what? It's not going to be forced either. God doesn't force himself on us. He allows us to say no, and he will only work in our lives when we trust in him and when we call on him, confess him, and ask him to work in our lives. That is when God says, all right, now let's do it. Now let's change you to look more like Christ in this area. He is waiting for you to trust him, to call on him, and to let him move. It might be at a different speed than you think. It might be slower and take years when you hoped it would take months. Or it might just something drastic happens in a minute that just completely changes you. It might look different, but he will. It's his promise. He's faithful to his promises. And if you can think of someone who needs to know God's power in their life, what does Paul say at the end? He says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Maybe you're hearing that and and saying, How beautiful are the feet of a pastor who talks really well. But what he really means is, How beautiful are your feet? that carry you to someone you love to share the love of Christ with them. Are you willing to do that? So now we come to this time that we've been waiting for all message. Maybe at this point you have a question about the passage. uh, Or maybe God has spoken into your life and there's a way God is telling you to trust him and call on him. We only have a time for a couple questions, but I want you to know, because this is new, I'm not going to let you go until someone, uh, at least someone has shared. So, I leave the floor open to you now. Does anyone have something God is leading you to say or to ask? Yes.
in his message, he was talking about um, how when Jesus was walking on water and That's fine. That's fine. You're doing awesome. He called Peter to come out. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were talking about the preacher. I don't know the preacher's name. That is so good. Absolutely. That is, yeah, absolutely. When when Jesus called Peter out of the boat, he wasn't calling him to drown. He said, "Come out." And walk on the water with me. And when he was tr- when Peter's eyes were fixed on Jesus, then Peter was able to do what Jesus had promised. He was walking on water, guys. The one person other than God who has ever done it. Whatever cartoon TV shows you may have watched where people do that, he's the only person who have actually done it. And then, guess what? When he stopped trusting, he started to fall. But as soon as he called on Jesus... I should have used that in my message. That was beautiful. As soon as he called on Jesus, God saved him. That's beautiful. Thank you. Someone else? Something God's laying on your heart. A question? Confusion? Other people might have the question. Salvation. Salvation. Mm. Absolutely. When we hear the word saved in the Bible... Most of us, first thought immediately goes to saved from from hell, right? Saved and going to heaven, receiving eternal life. That's why we're saying, like, say to walk up to someone and say, hey, have you gotten saved, right? But it is so important for us to know that when you have a word saved, there are some implied words that, claw, that glam, glom onto that word. Like someone who does the saving, someone who is saved, and something that you're saved from. So like if, if um, we're playing a, a, a basketball game, and uh, I was playing basketball with Mike, even though I really am not good at basketball, and, and I have a difficult time with that. Are we playing basketball coming up in future Sundays? Probably, yeah. We're going to try to get that hoop fixed so we can do that. Let's play. say we're playing a basketball game, and I was playing with Mike, and we were really far behind. We were like two points behind. I didn't think we were going to make it, and Mike goes, and he makes a shot from all the way across the court, and it swishes in the basket, and we make the final thing. I will say to Mike, Mike, you saved me. Does that mean that Mike has given me eternal life? No. It means Mike is the one who's saved, I'm the one who's been saved, and from losing the game. So every time you see the word saved, it's important to ask questions of the word, who is doing saving, who is being saved, 
and who is, what are they being saved from? And in the book of Romans, all the way at the beginning, it says God, the gospel is God's power to save every believer, the Jew and the Greek. For in it God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, just as it's written, the righteousness, the righteous shall live by faith. What's the ne- very next verse say? For God has revealed his wrath against everyone who suppresses the, against the godlessness and unrighteousness of everyone who suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. And he goes on to describe people who have rejected who God is and what is God's wrath described in the second half of chapter 1. He says when people reject him and start worshiping other things, God hands them over to a greater level of worship, to doing shameful things with the things they've worshipped. It's like if I um, begin walking down a path, I think that home is this way, and I start walking that way when home is actually that way. And I say, ah, I'm going the right way in the middle of night and darkness. And God says, all right, tell you what, how about I jump you five miles down the road? Does this look like it's still going the right way? And I'm like, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, very much not the right way. And he says, uh, do you want to turn back now? And he said, yeah, please. And then I turn back and I start going the right way again. That's what God's wrath is. And it's described in Romans. It's being handed over to an inability, uh, to it being handed over to greater slavery to the thing that you have decided to worship over him. And that is what we're saved from. And that is what Paul is talking about in, in Romans. Um, and also, he's also talking about other things with is, that are Israel-specific. Israel being not blessed by God, um, and, and the Gentiles being used, and Israel saying, hey, when are we going to get back in with God using us again? And God says, hey, I'm ready to save you as soon as you trust in me, Israel, and as soon as you call on me. And then I will save you, and I will bless you again, and I will use you again, and it's going to be amazing. So that's kind of what we're seeing. Whenever you see saved, don't just automatically think saved from hell. Ask it. Saved from what? And see if the, the book can actually tell you. So, long answer for your short question, but thank you for asking. All right. Anyone else have like maybe two sentences of something else? All right. Thank you guys so much for responding. This is awesome. I actually like doing this. I think this is good. And I don't know about you if maybe the question that Adam had and the insight that Shelby had really helped were a blessing to you as well. But I like this, so I'm going to try to do this more, make my messages even shorter if I can. But hey, leaving at 12.05 is still better than leaving at 12.15, am I right? All right, let's close in prayer. God, thank you so much. Thank you for, uh, for all that you have done on our behalf already for the way that you have done everything needed for our salvation. God, there may be some of us right here, right now, who are in a situation where we are, are struggling, and God, at some level, we, we think it might be you allowing us to do this. God, help us to trust that you are loving, you are good, you are kind and faithful and gentle, and you are for us. And help us never to think that your wrath, even when it's shown against us, is to push us away, but is always meant to help us understand how much better it is to follow you and help us to trust you. 
to trust in your love. And then, God, to call out for your salvation. And, God, when we do, when we're willing to take that step, God, show yourself to be good and strong and powerful and loving on our behalf. And save us. Because that's what you say. Help us to do that, to call on you, and then to live life as if you are responding to us so that we can see you at work and praise you and maybe even tell someone else about our great God who saves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yes? Oh, you like that? Ah, well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, at least try it for a while. And if there comes a point in time where there's like five weeks in a row where you guys just stubbornly don't say anything for like five minutes, then maybe we'll stop. But in other words, I, I do like this right now. So we'll try it for a while. In the meantime, let's all stand for the benediction. And now to him who is able to do above and beyond all we ask or think. According to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go in peace.